Good evening, and welcome to the Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Tonight, a tale of theft, camcorders, and Karens. Entitled Karen Thinks I Stole Her Camera was originally published on the 25th of February and is read by Quaylon O'Neill Ford, Kirsten DeVoe, and Sean Brodeur, with musical backing by Vivek Abhishek and Kevin McLeod. If you've enjoyed this tale, make sure to check back in a couple of days for more. New episodes of The Cabinet of Fever Dreams come out every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. With that said, sit back and pay close attention to this cautionary tale. After making sure that the person who left it behind wasn't in the bathroom or popping out for a smoke, I picked it up. It was just lying there on the table in the middle of a bustling coffee shop. Fancy looking camcorder ripe for the taking. I wanted to make sure no one would steal it. The thing was brand new. Stickers advertising all sorts of HD capabilities and gigabyte storages were plastered on the front. The chrome on the body was spotless, the lens was crystal clear, the camera looked as if it was straight out of the box. The owner would definitely miss it. I couldn't go to the cops. I mean, I could, but I was too scared. How would the police react if someone like me walked in to hand in lost property? Sure, they would probably just take it off me, congratulate me on becoming a good citizen, and get the camera back to its owner. But there was a chance of them presuming that I stole it, had a change of heart and got scared of getting caught. What would they do then? There was no way I was going back to prison. The cops are out of the question. Giving the camera to the coffee shop manager would have been stupid. Giving any lost property to any manager in this town is just generally not a good call. Back in the day, my pal Teddy used to do weekly rounds through the local businesses where he would pick up whatever was meant to end up in the lost and found. The managers would get a kickback and all of the merchandise would disappear. Teddy would let me pick out what I wanted at a discount before he moved the stuff over to his contacts. That fat bastard sold me every nice coat I ever owned. There was no way I was going to let the manager line his own pockets. Teddy was gone now, but I'm sure there was someone in his stead. In a town like this, there always was. The manager was an asshole anyway. When I came in for the interview, he kept on asking me about what I went in for, what prison was like, and all other sorts of questions that didn't relate to me being a potential janitor. In the end, he said he didn't think I was a good fit for the job. No way I was going to trust the guy who made me shit out bus fare just to get rejected. I would return it on my own. There had to be something in the camera that would help me identify the owner. I stashed the camera into my nice coat and rode the bus to my grandmother's. The idea of a finder's reward made the rejection from the job interview sting less. After I got out, I had nowhere to go. Whatever money I had made with Teddy was long gone, and all of the ex-girlfriends were married, didn't want anything to do with me, or both. At the ripe age of 34, I moved back in with my grandmother. She was pushing a hundred, but she still managed to have her mind completely intact. As long as I would shovel snow and be available to pick things up off the high shelves, I could stay with her. I promised her I would get out of her thinning hair soon enough, but she told me not to worry. She enjoyed the company. The woman was an angel, but for a big chunk of my childhood she spent time covering for the devil in me. I lived with her until I was able to pull enough scores to afford an apartment in the city. Whenever the police would show up at her door searching for a 15-year-old me, she would distract them for just enough time for me to be able to sneak out the window. If I carried her around with me everywhere, I'm pretty sure I would have been able to outrun the arrest warrant that landed me in prison. The day had been exhausting. I ran through half a dozen job interviews spread throughout the town and none of them panned out. There was nothing more that I wanted to do than crash down in my child-sized bed sleep off the stress of the day. 
yet there was still a matter of the camcorder to attend to. Figuring out which button turns the thing on and which plays the videos took a while, but eventually some combination of presses made the camera start up. I was hoping for a person listing off their name and address with the promise of a finder's fee, but instead, I got Karen. I don't know if her name was actually Karen, but there was something about her voice that just suggested it. It was the type of nasal tone that I would hear every time I was kissing out suburbia for families that went out for vacation and had shit alarm systems. Dozens of Karens yelling at their Joshuas and Stacys to come back inside and grab a jacket. Karen pointed her camera at a white sand beach resort. Waves caressed an empty coast, a glowing sunrise in the distance. Wow, she said from behind the camera. Isn't that sunset beautiful? Isn't that beach so gosh darn calming? What a vacation I'm having, huh? You could be here too. All you have to do is work your little butt off. Remember Rocky? He never gave up and look where he is now. Work hard and you'll be able to afford the nicer things in life. The video cut out. I rolled my eyes and pressed something that looked like an arrow forward. A wedding reception. The bride and groom, straight out of a catalogue, danced their first dance in a loving embrace. Around them, a family on the verge of tears, watching the lovely couple celebrate their eternal love. Wow. See how happy they are. See how proud the family is. What a beautiful couple, aren't they? You could be just as adorable. All you need to do is be as honest as Washington was about the cherry tree and never let yourself give up. If you're a good, reliable man, you'll definitely... The next video was a calm suburban street. It was night, but everyone seemed to still be awake. The light from their big glass windows revealed manicured lawns and the outlines of new cars. Wow! I gritted my teeth at the sound of her voice. This is where I live, and boy, oh boy, is it cozy. Everyone says, how do you do, neighbor? And we all work together as a... I closed the camera. Her voice was the auditory equivalent of a curb stomp. I put the camcorder on my spaceship-covered bedside table and tried to come up with a way to unload the merchandise. The hippos on my curtains reminded me of Teddy. If Teddy was still around, the camera would be easy to get rid of. The lazy fuck was too out of shape to actually break into houses. The man could he get rid of stuff. Whatever I managed to grab from the houses, he would fence in under a week. DVD players, TVs, jewelries. Weird little statues of junk. The people that he knew had a use for everything. Too bad that the people he knew lost the use for him. The one time I got to get out was for his funeral. Apparently they found him all sorts of cut up in a ditch. The mob is a scary group of people to piss off. I got out of bed and went over to my grandmother's computer. Surely there was a way to sell stolen shit online without much of a hassle. Everything is online these days. I used the Google to look up a model of the camera, just so I would know what I was working with. I clicked around for a while, the number that I was getting seemed unreal. If I managed to sell it for even half of what it was worth, I could set myself up for at least a month, maybe two. The number presented a problem though. If I was to get caught, this was definitely more than just petty theft. I wouldn't be breaking parole, I would be getting another jail sentence. The coffee shop had cameras, the manager still had my information and would remember me. There were just too many possible risks. I shut down the computer and went back to my room. 
For a couple of minutes, I tried to peel away the Pokemon stickers I stuck to my wardrobe, but the glue of the 90s held firm. I went back to the camcorder. I thought I could make out a street sign in the dark before. If I knew the neighborhood she was filming in, I could bus over and ask around. Hopefully there would be a finder's fee. Maybe Karen would even give me a ride home. When I turned back on the camcorder, however, the tranquil suburban paradise was gone. Inside there was a dusty basement. The camera shook for a bit, as if it was being attached to a tripod. When the image stabilized, a woman with the figure of someone who dives everywhere but still attends Zumba classes appeared. She took a couple of steps in front of the camera and then edged over to the right to be in the center of the screen. The frame just barely covered her face. Good. Karen whispered under her breath. She walked off screen. Somewhere behind the camera, a door opened. You could hear whimpers. I tried to focus in on what was being said, but all the pleas were drowned out by a thunderous metal scrape. The chair got pulled in front of the camera. Karen stood next to a naked fat man with a shopping bag in his head. He was chained up on the chair, sweat dripping down towards the indentations that the change created on his body. The bag expanded and contracted as he struggled to breathe. Please, please let me go. I didn't do anything. He wheezed. <laughs> she shushed him. Karen shifted the chair around to make sure both her and the man were in the frame. She cleared her throat, paused for a moment, and then started raving. Wow! She screamed in outrage. You think it's okay to steal? You think it's okay to take something away from me? Do you comprehend how hard I work to be able to afford the nice things I have? Well, I tell you what, Buster, it's not. If you did the crime, you deserve the punishment. I didn't steal anything. Please, just let me go. This is all a misunderstanding. She faced the man for a bit, as if considering his plea, but then she tutted. Karen made her way back behind the camera and started fishing around in unseen drawers. If you were just as honest, this would all go by in a jiffy. But you lie, so it won't. See, if everyone is honest, works hard, and does their best, then we have a happy little community. But there's always bad apples, aren't there? Karen walked back to the man. Before he could answer her little monologue, she stabbed him. Oh, fuck. You bitch. I recognized the voice, only dropping the camera. Shit, okay, fuck. I stole your camera, I'm sorry. Look, I'm really sorry. I won't do it again, I promise. I swear, I swear on my daughter's life, I won't steal anymore. She held a knife inside of him, sending a trail of blood down the chains that wrapped around Teddy's body. It looked as if she was considering his plea. You don't have a daughter, she finally said. What I do have a daughter. She's seven years old. Her name is... She sliced the knife back, making Teddy scream until his voice gave out. Everything in my body wanted to smash the camera to pieces. There was a burning desire in me to destroy any evidence of such brutality even being possible. But I just kept on watching. Teddy screamed. They were mostly desperate howls of pain, but words made their way in when Karen had to catch her breath. He pleaded for her to stop. He confessed to not having a daughter, to stealing her stuff, to fencing stolen goods, to every sin that he could possibly think of. 
that she just kept on tutting and cutting. There was no forgiveness. Any notion of goodness, of justice, of peace, none of these things could coexist in a world where one human could cause to another the pain that Karen was dragging out into the world. As she hacked on, Teddy's screams lost in volume. He started to drift off. When he was lucid, his rambling confessions would be replaced with something much simpler. A plea for death. The floor was covered in blood and flesh. The remnants of what used to be a friend of mine sat in the chair. The chain nestled in his bloody lap like a jagged blanket. She walked back to the camera. Wow. She whispered as she unscrewed the camcorder from the tripod. Who knew that a life of crime could get you this kind of punishment? She picked up the camera and moved it towards the body. Her voice gained back its pep. Well, you did, silly. You know stealing is wrong. Can't do the time, don't do the crime, right? Her voice went cold. Right? The shopping bag rustled with a strained breath. Video cut out. I started to feel faint. I had to lie down on the floor so that I could fully spread out my body. The hippopotamus curtains were right above me, trying to remind me that there was a corner of the universe where cartoonists put together cute comic hippos. But my mind kept being on drag to the butcher. For minutes I just lay there, imagining myself in Teddy's place, feeling my own fragility. The lay down didn't make me calmer, but it did help me regain some strength. I got up for a glass of water. My grandma was already asleep. I poured myself a glass from the tap and tried to figure out what to do. At this point, the cops were the obvious answer. There was evidence of murder on the camera. I would come clean about picking the camera from the coffee shop. It was, after all, with best intentions. The murder would outweigh any possibility of me being seen as a thief. I picked up the landline, getting ready to call the police, but a glint of doubt kicked in the back of my head. What if it wasn't Teddy? What if I had simply stumbled upon some strange amateur film shoot? The thought of the video not being real was a bam for my soul. As soon as the idea entered my mind, I calmed down. I put down the phone and went back to check the video again. I shouldn't have. I went back into my room, sat down on my bed and popped up the camera again, hoping to scroll back through the video. Instead, I stumbled upon something else. At first, the viewfinder was too dark to make anything out. But as the camera moved around, I could see the outlines of street. All the houses were dark except for one. The camera started moving towards it. A passing bus illuminated the area for a split second. It turned over a lawn chair and nestled on an unkempt lawn filled the frame. The camera was plunged back into darkness. It stopped and focused on the one lit up window. Wow! She zoomed in on a window with hippopotamus curtains. A grown man sat in a child's bed staring in horror at a camera. I looked up into the darkness past my window. All I could see was my own terrified reflection. I leapt to the curtains and shut them. I smashed the light switch. The night lay in still silence for a minute. Then came the knocks. I paced around the room trying to figure out what to do. In a panic, I grabbed my chair and propped it up against the door. I tore the chair away. I thought I could run into the kitchen and call the police. This is what the police were for, but I didn't have the chance. A pair of shuffling footsteps went through the hallway. My grandma opening the door. Faint talking could be heard, and then my grandma yelled for me. Someone was at the door asking to see me. I stood frozen in my room. The faint talking continued. 
After a couple of moments, my name was yelled again. The front door closed. Two sets of footsteps entered and moved towards the kitchen. I could hear my grandma chatting away. Her voice was calm and collected, as it always was when she was stalling for me. She started to pour a kettle of tea. I crawled out their window and ran. The Goods News Motel was my go-to bedroom if I had any company back in high school. For 20 bucks, they would give you a room for the night, and for an extra five, no questions would be asked. The place hadn't changed much over the years. It was still a hole in the wall where no one would find you. I only had seven bucks on me, but they begrudgingly took my grandma's credit card as collateral. Room C3, third floor, TV and a phone included. I grabbed my keys and raced upstairs. The sun was starting to peek through the fog outside. The plan was to call my grandmother, make sure she's okay, wait an hour until my parole officer would be available, then call her directly about the camera. I was meant to check in anyway. It would be better to talk to someone that knew me. If I just stayed calm, everything would work out. Except for one hitch, the phone in my room was disconnected. This wasn't entirely uncommon. The snooze was infamous for shit breaking down. I got ready to ask for another room when I heard it. I froze, praying that it was my mind playing tricks on me. It wasn't. I made my way to the people of the room and was greeted with complete darkness. There was something on the other side blocking the hole. I paced the room back and forth, all the while listening to the knocks. They grew sharper with every strike. With dread, I checked the camera. The battered form of C3. Occasionally, a terrified eye would stare out directly into the lens. I tried shouting for help out the window, but the passing cars pay no attention to me. No one responds when I bang on the walls or stomp on the floor. The people who come here are used to a ruckus. I've turned on the television to drown her out, caught a glimpse of a report about a horrifying home invasion in my neighborhood. I'm a sniveling mess, hitting myself for the moment when I laid hands on that camera. I don't know what to do. I just want to be somewhere where I feel safe, where I won't have to think about Teddy or Karen. The pounding reached a point where it seemed like the door was going to give in. But then it ended. Instead, out of the hallway I hear a single sound. Wow! The Cabinet of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L, Lucky J. Orton, Alan Rall, Kuss, and Bob Kondurk. If you'd like to join these fine people and support the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash Langer. Quaylon, the fella who read tonight's story, is also a part of an amazing band called Bookie Baker. I'll leave you with their fantastic tune, Autumn Wind. Make sure to check out Bookie Baker out on Spotify and all them other streaming platforms. See y'all again on Thursday with another episode of The Cabinet of Fever Dreams. I can smell it in the air so blonde, so blind. It's tormenting, said so tempting. Oh, what a lie, what a lie, what a lie, what a lie. I 
I can feel my breath escaping Long after long is one after one till it's gone Feel the way you can just embrace it Surely cross you in time There must be something in the autumn wind What's in a blow and keeps us wondering And we look and we wait and we brood and we shake Till it takes what it needs Feeds on its all, it will feed on you always Feed on its all till it takes what it needs Then it's gone Bones are shaking, hearts will break And stories left lost in time Grab on tight or get lost in the night It's coming for you, yeah, coming for mine, yeah Something's coming in the autumn wind What we could blow and keeps us wandering And we shiver and gasp and try to relax But surely we'll come And when it does, hold all your loved ones Keep them close cause it could consume you and yours Stick with me, girl, we can be a storm 